Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to welcome back Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and theologian and senior research fellow at uh, Reasons to Believe. He's also authored a number of books, but he also really loves uh, demonstrating the kind of the unique compatibility of Christianity's great doctrinal truths with reason and logic. This is why he's so much fun to talk to. I love having him on the show. He comes on about once a month. He's the author of several books, The God Among Sages, Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World, A World of Difference, and Without a Doubt. He also leads the Reasons to Believe Straight Thinking podcast and also writes Reflections, a weekly blog dedicated to exploring the Christian worldview. Ken, welcome back to the show. Bill, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I always look forward to it because I always learn so much, and I know listeners always have lots of questions for you. And I know you're uh, open and willing to take any questions that come in. But today I want to talk on the reflections that you might have on the Ten Commandments. And i got a bus- bunch of questions for you, but maybe just to get things started, you can give us uh, a perspective on the Ten Commandments. Yeah, very good. Uh, Bill, I think right off the bat, I would say that the Ten Commandments are arguably the greatest moral code in history. And... Um, That's worldwide, influencing not just Jews and Christians, but also Muslims and people in other religions, people in no religions. Of course, the source of these commandments are out of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Jews would call it the Tanakh. Christians call it the Old Testament. Specifically, the law, uh, the first five books uh, of the Old Testament are called the Torah, the books of the prophet Moses. And the commandments are set forth uh, specifically in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. I would further say in terms of uh, kind of a context that these are God's commands that he gives to his people and that reflect his, uh, his glory. And if you uh, know anything about the Old Testament or about Judaism as a historic religion— uh, the two most important events in in Jewish history would be the Exodus, where the Jews are taken out of captivity in Egypt, and God makes a covenant with them, and then there is the giving of the law. So this idea of the Exodus and the giving of the law are right at the core of what we would call Old Testament revelation. And of course, uh, they summarize God's will— What's interesting, Bill, is um, I think most Christian theologians would say, for example, that uh, sin is anything contrary to God's moral nature. So the the commandments reflect that nature. They they not only tell us what to do and what not to do, but they tell us something about the very nature of God himself. And uh, so again, I would underscore that these have... Uh, universal application 
they can be used in evangelism. I mean, after all, when we talk to people about why Jesus came into the world, he came into the world to save sinners. And sinners are people who break the commandments. We can tie them to the moral argument for God. We can tie them to the idea that God communicates his commands. And uh, I think that uh, they uh, have real application and and I'm not sure we pay enough attention to the Ten Commandments. I agree, Ken. And I would love to talk about how these commandments have such incredible application today. And I don't know if you feel like kind of going through each one of them with me, because I think that would be kind of a lovely exercise. But, I mean, number one is don't worship any other gods. I think that's clearly a concern for what's going on in the world today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the first commandment tells us to entrust ourselves to the true and living God. And, um, you know, what I think is interesting there, Bill, in terms of kind of apologetics, is the vast majority of people who've ever lived on this planet have believed in God. So if you are an atheist, uh, you would essentially say the vast majority of people who have ever lived were fundamentally wrong about their most basic belief. This idea that there is uh, a being behind the universe is, is critical, and I think the commandments then tell us that uh, if you get this wrong, you've got your, your whole fundamental view of reality or being is wrong. And so uh, there are other gods, not in actuality, but there are many gods that become our idols and they don't have to be polytheistic Greco-Roman gods. There are plenty of idols we have in our own time that can replace commandment number one. Mm-hmm. When we think of commandment two, do not make idols, I think it was possibly Augustine that, I'll paraphrase, that our hearts are essentially idol manufacturing facilities. We're, we're, we are constantly making idols and loving things in a disproportionate way. Yeah, that's, that's right on target. Um, John Calvin is the one who said the mind is a human idolatry factory. And uh, again, uh, it doesn't have to be idols that are made of uh, wood or uh, things of that nature. It is very easy to, to, to replace it. And I, I think probably the, the most often replaced thing, Bill, is that Sin causes uh, us to live disordered lives. That is, mm -hmm. that is, when we're out of relationship with God, we go looking for a replacement, and often we, re we look for good things. For example, we look for money, food, or sex. I mean, money's not a bad thing. In and of itself, money's not a bad thing. Now, the love of money can lead us to all kinds of problems. Food is a good thing. Food's not a bad thing at all, but... What do we do? We want to, we have a little bit of food. Well, that's good. I want more food. Uh, how about sex? Sex is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God created sex. But we often think, well, I, I have some money, some food and sex. That's good. Then a whole lot of money, food and sex would be even better. And that disorientation means that we look to good things, but we misuse them and they never fulfill I mean, I watch these programs about professional athletes, about professional entertainers, about, you know, rich people, and uh, they all 
uh, are looking to fulfill their life with money, food, and sex, and it never fulfills. And so that can be a central idol in a person's life. And I think, uh, Ken, we, we can think that it's not that you love bad things, but possibly you love good things too much, and you've placed them in a priority over God. That's exactly right. Um, it, in fact, I think often what we do is we, we go looking for good things, but we exalt them above mm-hmm. the great thing, God. And in fact, I would say this, Bill, that Lucifer, I mean, to the best of our understanding, the, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Lucifer's state before, the, before his rebellion. But St. Augustine said this, he said, Lucifer didn't choose a bad thing, he chose a good thing, he chose himself but he exalted the self above the ultimate thing, God, and committed idolatry. If it can happen to Lucifer, it can happen to us. Wow, that's, that's amazing. All right, what about uh, number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, this is, this is important. I would say, Bill, that everything about God is sacred. And I think we see that in the way the the Jews related to God. They even took the name of God as being sacred. Often they would not want to say his most sacred name, uh, Yahweh, and so they would substitute another word for Lord, like Adonai. Sometimes when they write God, they'll write capital G-D, not to misuse the name of God. But But what I think we see is, again, this concept of uh, of things are sacred, and therefore we treat them with reverence. I was watching a movie. It's a movie I like a lot. And uh, they cut some of the, the swear words out of the movie. Uh, it was shown on regular television. But I, I noticed the other day that while they cut out, uh, you know, some profane words, they kept in when the actor used the name Jesus Christ and he used it in a vain manner. And I thought, mm. wow, whoever that, whoever that TV person is cut out maybe the F word or the S word, but left in a, a word that would take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. And I thought, wow, that's, it's so important that we show a, a sense of sacredness and respect Ken, a listener said regarding the third commandment, would the third commandment be better translated as carry instead of take? Carry instead of take. That's interesting. Um, Well, uh, I I, I like the idea there. I actually like the idea. I, I think when we associate ourselves with God, with the Lord, with Yahweh, Elohim in the Hebrew, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think your, your listener is right. We, we don't just uh, take, but we carry that name. And of course, in the Bible, your, who you associate with has real significance. So I like that. All right. Let me take a little break, uh, Ken. I want to open up to any listener that would like to ask a question regarding the Ten Commandments, or maybe you have a comment you'd like to make, or maybe you've heard something said that you'd like some clarification on. We can do any one of the above. Send me a text to 877-933-2484. 
Ken Samples is my guest. He's a theologian and, theologian and philosopher from Reasons to Believe. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. So glad to have Ken Samples as my guest today. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking about the Ten Commandments today. We're uh, right up to number four now, Ken, which is interestingly about uh, keeping the Sabbath. I don't believe, you'll correct me on this one, that verse shows up anywhere in the New Testament where all other commandments resurface somewhere in the New Testament. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting point, Bill. I I would uh, I would say this. I would say that Jesus, because a lot of times people will say, well, what does Jesus think of those commandments? What's interesting is that Jesus summarizes them, and he says that all the commandments can be summarized in two: love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Which is which is interesting. Um, in looking at these commandments, that deeper idea, how I relate, am I loving God with my entire being? And am I loving my neighbor as myself? Of course, this raises the difficult question, do any of us keep these commandments? Because Jesus goes further. Uh, For example, uh, when we get to the commandment about adultery, Jesus says, well, you know, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Or if you hate your brother, even though you have not technically murdered him, you are a murderer. So if anything, Jesus intensifies the application of these commandments. Now, you mentioned specifically the Sabbath. I mean, what I, what I think largely, Bill, this is about is, is rest and learning and gratitude. I mean, the, the, the Old Testament Jews and the Orthodox Jews of today— there, there are about 16 million Jews in the world, it's estimated, and most of them are probably not religious. That's A lot of times as Christians, we think Jews today are just like the Jews in the Old Testament. Well, Judaism has evolved, and there are secular Jews who see themselves more in terms of an ethnicity or a people group than they do people who are committed to Yahweh, let's say. Well, they keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath would be sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Um, uh, Muslims, by the way, keep Friday. So Jews, Saturday. Muslims keep Friday. Christians keep Sunday. And of course, this question is quite controversial at times. I mean, you have particular groups that keep the Old Testament Sabbath. I have friends and colleagues who are in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, for example, and they keep the Seventh Day, and I've had dialogues and debates and discussions, but the essential point here is that Christians very early on saw in the New Testament that Sunday was being kept. Now, Sunday has no religious significance at all, except for one thing. That's the day the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So early Christians began keeping Sunday to commemorate the resurrection. Now, 
all of that, to get back to your, your point, uh, Christians have the prerogative to keep whatever day they like. If they want to keep the Sabbath day, that would be fine. If they want to keep Sunday, that's fine. Uh, they could even look at every day if they will. But I, I think the key idea here is that uh, as human beings, um, we need rest. We need to give a time of gratitude to God. Sunday is a great opportunity to, to learn the commandments, to praise and worship God. And so while there are these debates about the day, Sabbath day, Lord's day, the critical idea is that we give the Lord his day and uh, give him gratitude. Mm -hmm. Ken, how do we understand Colossians 2.16? It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Is that releasing Great. in some way the believer from the Sabbath rule? I think that it is. Um, I think that what we find is that there is a little bit of a difference between Judaism and Christianity. And in, in, in fact, and this, this might cause some consternation, but I think modern Judaism sometimes has more in common with Islam than it does with Christianity. For example, uh, modern Judaism and Islam, uh, it, is, it is more about your deeds than your beliefs. Now, I'm not excluding beliefs, but do you keep the Sabbath, for example? In, uh, in Islam, you know, do you keep, do you pray five times a day? Do you follow these five uh, statements? Um, so there are times where modern Judaism, I think, is a little more like Islam than in Christianity. But to relate to the passage in Colossians, Christians are not obligated to keep the Sabbath. Uh, Christians have reasoned that their Sabbath rest is found in Christ. And what's uh, the point of differentiation here is, I think that Christianity, part of Christianity's success is that it is a universal religion. It doesn't require you not to mix milk and meat. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the original Sabbath. Christianity, therefore, became a faith that people from all walks of life could embrace. And again, I think behind it, Bill, is this. Christians and Jews should—Christians especially should be appreciative of the Old Testament, of Judaism as a religion. Uh, Anti-Semitism is so wrong because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and it is our roots. But we also see that the New Testament allows us to have liberty that is a little different from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. All right, Ken, let's jump to commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Yeah, boy, that has a lot of application. Um, love, serve, respect. Um, you know, there are people who brought you into the world. Um, if those two people who brought you into the world are alive, you should thank them. You should reverence them, take care of them. Um, that, we, that we have an obligation. I mean, you know, there's nobody like my mother and my father. They have shaped me in such profound ways, not only uh, in terms of nature, I mean, chromosomes from my mother, chromosomes from my father, but in nurture, the way they nurtured me, they put their stamp uh, upon me. 
my mom and dad were not perfect, but boy, they had they had so many good qualities and virtues. My parents were from the great generation. They were World War II era folk. And uh, therefore, I think that we want to be thankful. We want to give reverence and respect. Now, this, of course, brings into to bear a very important point, Bill. Uh, were you hurt by your parents? Were you wounded by your parents? Well, you're in a very large room, uh, the biggest room in the world. Uh, you're, you didn't have perfect parents. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you can go down a very difficult road if you nurse your bitterness, your woundedness. I think if you can acknowledge that, look, my dad and mom were not perfect. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect person. In fact, I can't keep these commandments perfectly. That's why I need a savior. That's why the commandments can really bring us, they give us guilt, and then the gospel gives us grace, and then we can return to the commandments and say, Bill, I know I can't keep these, but I want to show gratitude to God, and I want to do the things that I know will be pleasing to the Lord. So if you have imperfect parents, I invite you to join the club. It's universal. But they, they deserve our respect. And I would even go further, Bill. I think that this commandment even extends broader. I think we should be respectful to people who have helped us in life, to our teachers, to our employers. Um, you know, I've had, I've had, enough, I've had coaches that, that talked to me and gave me guidance that my father couldn't. And mm -hmm. I, when I was a boy, I wasn't a very good student. I wish I could go back to my elementary, junior high, high school teachers and say, you know, I did hear you, and it took a while before it sunk in, but I got it. And I, I, I'll never forget, Bill, I was in junior high, seventh grade, and our guidance teacher, uh, she brought in a television so we could watch the World Series, and I thought, I love my teacher. Um, <laughs> I love her they too. They did things. They they did things that would would help. And so we start with our parents, but I again I think this is about love. It's about respect. It's about showing service. And boy, we need that in the world in which we live today. Yeah. And uh, we're going to go to break here, Ken, but I think isn't uh this commandment honor your father and mother the first commandment that comes with a promise that goes on to say that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think that's out of Ephesians yeah. chapter six. Exactly that yeah. that there is a there's a blessing that comes with it. Yeah, indeed. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a theologian and philosopher. From reasons to believe, certainly I would love to get your questions or take your comments or if you need something clarified, let me know what it is. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Or if you like the old fashioned way, you can send me an email. Bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. What's in a Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon 
All right, I am back with Ken Samples, who's a philosopher, theologian, and also a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. He's written a number of books, God Among Sages, Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World, A World of Difference, and Without a Doubt, he also uh, leads Reasons to Believe Straight Talk, uh, Straight Thinking Podcast, and also writes Reflections, a weekly bo- uh, blog. We're chatting today about the Ten Commandments, and I'm really enjoying this, Ken. So I think we uh, are all the way up right now to number six, do not murder. I remember when I was a kid learning the Ten Commandments, I thought, well, I can check this one off the list because I'm not going to ever do that. Yeah, and then, then Jesus comes along and makes things even <laughs> more difficult for you. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. It, there are people who think, well, I, these Old Testament commandments are rather difficult and challenging. They put you under guilt and compulsion. Jesus was himself a Jew, and he learned these commandments himself as a young person, and he gives them greater application. I mentioned, you know, uh, these these next two it's not just murder that's a prohibition, but hatred in the heart. That's where, that's where the beginning of murder can come from. And uh, adultery, to look at another person and lust. So these are, you know, again, very powerful. What I would say, Bill, about that Sixth Commandment, and I should make one point here. Um, some Christian groups n- number them a little differently. I remember um, part of my undergraduate studies was was at a Lutheran uh, school, a Lutheran college in California, and uh, Catholics and Lutherans and other Protestants sometimes number them a little differently. So there was a Lutheran minister on uh, a program, a quiz show, where they were asked, you know, what is the particular number of commandment? And he got it wrong because that his denomination ordered it a little differently. So there's no particular order. And by the way, the the expression Ten Commandments doesn't appear in Scripture itself. These are terms we use, like the Decalogue, for example. Mm -hmm. But let me me say something about murder. Murder is different than killing. Killing is to take the life. Murder is to take the life of an innocent person without just cause. Um, And and notice that murder is so important. Why? Because the Bible says people are made in the image of God. They have inherent dignity and moral worth. And so scripture is, this scriptural teaching about the imago Dei, or the image of God, lays this foundation for the sanctity of life. And therefore, to kill an unborn a human being in the womb, that's a precious soul before God. Or today we have people living longer. We recognize people suffer with dementia, an elderly person. Even if they've lost their memory, they still have dignity and, and value. And, and, therefore, and therefore, I think these have real application today. We want to protect, as, as God said in the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets, God cares about the people who are, who are weak, the people that have little power, um, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants. God says that we need to watch out for people who can be hurt this way. Now, I do want to make the point that there are Christian pacifists who will not engage in any type of killing, but 
Bill, for the most part, Christians have adopted what we call just war theory, and that is uh, murder is taking the life of an innocent person without just cause, but just war would say you can protect the innocent. Policemen, uh, soldiers can protect the innocent. They can fight evil. I don't think there's any way we could have stopped Hitler without an all-out war to destroy the Third Reich. So... Uh, again, it can be rather controversial, but murder does not ruling out the the killing uh, for just causes, self-protection or defeating an evil power in warfare. Mm-hmm. Ken, I remember a pastor once years ago uh, made this statement and he said, is murder is murder against the law because it's wrong? Or is it wrong because it's against the law? Because if it's wrong because it's against the law, people can change the law. Yeah, exactly. This this has deep roots. Uh, does, this all it? this all the way back to Socrates. This is, this is called, by the way, Bill, the the euthyphro objection, and it relates to the commandments of God. That is, are are these uh, are these commandments? Uh, somehow uh, above God? That is, that is, does God have to obey these commandments, and so they're kind of above him? Or does he just arbitrarily create these commandments, kind of willy-nilly? And the Christian position is neither. Uh, they flow from the very nature of God himself. The, the, God doesn't create ethics. He is ethics. Mm-hmm. God doesn't truth, goodness, and beauty. He is truth, goodness, and beauty, justice, and all of these things. And and nor do these commandments somehow exist above him where he has to dodge. They come from his being. And that's what we mean by uh, what we call um, divine command ethics. They, they flow from the very nature of God. This is the way Jesus was. Jesus is the most extraordinary person in the world. Um, Houston Smith, a, a very distinguished world religious scholar, said, thing about Jesus is he not only taught these commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, but he seemed to actually lived it. And anybody who can live this is going to get my attention. In fact, he's going to be my Lord and Savior. That's Jesus Christ. I love it. Here's a listener. Ken, you might need to help me with this one. It says, thou shall not kill but it also says to send all rapists and murderers to me, and by me I mean God. Can you clarify that? Yeah, I would say a couple things. One, the Hebrew is murder, not kill. But you recognize that in the Old Testament there were certain offenses uh, that you could be put to death for because when you take the life of a person, you steal the life of a person— But that person is made in the image of God. So murder is not only an attack upon the individual person, it's an attack upon God. So there are are certain sins that are so serious that the person loses their their right to life. I mean, let's, let's think about it. I mean, Bill, you have human trafficking around the world where people sell, sell young boys and girls into a life of sexual prostitution and abuse, um, I mean, to me, that is so seriously evil. Um, 
I think that could potentially be a death penalty case. And and we say, for example, if you sell secrets to the Soviet Union during the Cold War and, and endanger Western civilization, that's a capital crime. Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, it says that uh, there are crimes, there are sins that are so serious that they are subjected to the death penalty. That's serious. Ken, before we move on, let me back up to one uh, regarding honoring honoring your father and mother, uh, because a a question or a comment came in, uh, talking of the application of honor your father and mother to those who have been mistreated, abused, exposed to alcohol or drugs, etc., what should we say as Christians to those individuals? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and and again, I want to draw I want to draw the conclusion. Um, there's this saying: uh, "Be careful about meeting your heroes. They all have feet of clay." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad. I, I I worship the water my dad walked on. My dad was. Uh, you know, Bill, he seems so ordinary. He's 5'7", about 155 pounds, uh, went to work every day, just seems so ordinary. And then I got to see his Bronze Star citation from the Second World War. And I thought, my gosh, my dad was an ordinary man, but he did extraordinary things. Um, yet my dad had weaknesses. I, you know, I didn't always like working with my dad. He was a mechanic, and I would have to hold the light when he worked on the car. Gosh, that was a burden. You know, my dad was impatient. He'd be frustrated. Well, look, I don't want to in any way uh, belittle or underestimate the fact that some people have suffered significantly from their parents. Um, What I I do want to say, however, is that... uh, we all have imperfect parents. Some are worse, much worse than others. Uh, I think what I would want to say to people who have suffered abuse from their parents, Bill, is this. You have a heavenly father. Maybe your earthly father was abusive. Maybe he didn't show you the love and care and concern that, that he should have, that he had an obligation to in terms of a biblical context. But you have a heavenly father who loves you. Jesus called him Abba, and Jesus says we can call him Abba. Uh, Abba, uh, some scholars think, is really kind of a, uh, a filial reference, a family reference, almost a sense of dad, daddy. What I want to tell people who've had real difficulties with their parents is, uh, you know, your, your parents have failed you, and Christians may fail you. But God will never fail you. If you put your trust in him, he will care for you. He will provide for you. Uh, and he's someone you can trust. Now, of course, that makes it difficult. You know, there are some people who think that that maybe some atheists are atheists because they're acting out against their father figures. You know, that's a debated issue. But um it's hard to get over some of these things that we have, but I would still underscore this, Bill, that, uh, you know, it, if we live our life uh, reliving these things and becoming bitter and refu- refusing to kind of move on, I think it just hurts us more. And forgiveness, 
even though it is a big issue and it's at the heart of our faith, Jesus forgave our sins. He took our punishment. Um, we, I think, have to strive to forgive. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm certainly one of those people that has a hard time when it comes to people who've hurt me. But I, I realize that the Lord won't hurt me. I can trust him. He is, he is my Abba. Yeah. Okay, I, before we move on, Ken, i got to back up a little bit, too, to uh, the Fourth Commandment about keeping the Sabbath. Got a lovely comment from a listener. Nancy said, I, I have to comment on keeping the Sabbath. I was blessed by Senator Joel Lieberman's book on the gift of rest, written for both Jews and Christians. I love the Sabbath, and I do not feel it is optional for me. The Sabbath is a gift to us from God. We need to rest from our busyness. There are so many scriptures about keeping the Sabbath, and she's got about five listed from Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Isaiah. And and I would say this. um, I have a lot of friends who keep the Sabbath. Um, uh, Years ago, I worked at the Christian Research Institute, and um, I began writing articles uh, about various religious groups, and one of them was the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, I believe the Adventists are genuinely Christian. They insist on keeping the Sabbath. They are persuaded with their heart and mind before God that they should keep the seventh day. Uh, I respectfully differ with them, but I think that they have every prerogative to do that. Uh, where I would differ is when they may tell me everybody should keep the Sabbath, and if you are not, you're violating the law of God. That's where I would back up and say, no, I think the New Testament indicates that Christians can keep the Sabbath or not keep the Sabbath. And uh, largely, I apply it to Sunday, the Lord's Day, a day of rest. Uh, and I know of the Lieberman book. And here, by the way, was a, um, a political leader who was Jewish, but had very kind of conservative religious ideas. And uh so I, I would tell your listener, I respect your commitment to the Sabbath, and hopefully we can, we can love and respect each other, even if we come to conclude certain things about the particular day we keep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, was cons- I was wondering about your comment about Seventh-day uh, Adventists. I guess I don't know a lot about that, but they are—is that a—, is that a do you say they were true believers, or it was a cult, or where would you put them? Ken? I don't know. Yeah, the Seventh Day. Ad- sure, the Seventh Day Adventists emerged in the 19th century, and um, the 19th century is a time where there are a number of new religious movements: uh, the Latter Day Saints, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science. You have the Seventh Day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists, so the focus is on two particular things, keeping the seventh-day Sabbath and the idea of the Advent, the soon coming of the Lord. Um, There are people who think the Adventists are a cult, meaning that they are somehow uh, non-Christian in their doctrinal views. I've read many of their leading books. I've interviewed uh, many of their leading theologians. I've spoken 
at Andrews University, which is their seminary out here in Southern California. I've spoken at a couple of their colleges. I think the Adventists are clearly Christian. They're, they affirm the Trinity, the Incarnation, Christ's death on the cross, resurrection, second coming. Do they have doctrinal ideas that I differ with? Yes, I differ respectfully with their keeping of the Sabbath, but I differ with their view of annihilation, uh, immort uh, conditional immortality. Their idea is that God doesn't punish people for all eternity in hell. He punishes the wicked for a period of time, commensurate with their sin, and then annihilates them. So some of those views I strongly differ with, but Bill, no, I wouldn't put them I would not put them in the same camp as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, who I think clearly have a different God, a different Christ, and a different gospel. Mm. Okay, Ken, let me take our last break. Ken Samples is my guest. He is a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. We'll be right back. or the Decalogue can be really used as a mirror to show people their sin. And the commandments do reflect the unchanging character of God. They are timeless. And I'm talking to Ken Samples, who is a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. Go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. We've done a pretty good job. I don't think I've timed this up very well, Ken, because we've got, let's see, uh, a few more to go and four more to go in about nine minutes. So maybe we can touch on number six, um, uh, number seven, do not commit adultery. Yeah, such an important commandment. Um, I, again, I think the idea, Bill, is that sex is a sacred thing. Um, you know, that is the way new human beings come into the world. These human beings, um, they need a mother and a father. They need to be cared for and, and loved. Um, uh, sex is a good thing. We need to be careful not to... Uh, misuse it by making it more important than other things. And then I, you know, I think as well, I, I was thinking the other day that, you know, if you were to commit adultery, think of the people that you hurt, you hurt your spouse who you have, uh, you've made vows to, to be faithful to, but you also have hurt the person you're sleeping with. Um, you've potentially hurt your kids. Uh, you've hurt society. Uh, I, I think we need to take sex more seriously, um, and, and realize that it is, uh, something that comes with our, with our commitment to God and our, and in fact, uh, Bill in, in the Bible, it, it compares, uh, I, I adultery with idolatry. You can be unfaithful to your spouse by sleeping with someone else. You can be unfaithful to your God by breaking these commandments. And uh, now, again, I want to tell you, you can be forgiven of these things. Nobody keeps these perfectly. But, uh, you know, sexuality is something we need to reflect deeply upon. And I don't think our culture has. I don't think it gives us the kind of attention we should. Mm -hmm. And above all, your, your sin is grieving God. 
That's exactly right. You have first and foremost sinned against God, and then mm-hmm. there are all of those, and, and that's what sin does. It 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 uh, alienates us from God, it alienates us from other, and we even lose ourself in the process. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, let's jump to number eight, do not steal. Yeah, you know, I think when you steal, you're essentially saying, I don't trust God to provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pay your debts, pay your taxes, um, recognize that uh, God has given things to you. He's given things to other people. Uh, be be generous. Uh, you know, again, don't take what belongs to other people. And you can do it in many ways, Bill. Um, you know, if you don't work when you're on the job or you don't pay the taxes, I mean, you might think taxes are are more than they should be. But again, the idea is do not take from other people what God gave them. Trust in him, put your, put your faith in him, work hard, be committed, and, uh, you know, uh, be honest. Mm-hmm. All right. Do not give false testimony. Yeah, lying. Uh, Ooh, I think that's a big one today. This, this, this is such an important one, Bill. Jesus said he is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. But it also says that that the liar is the devil. I think when we, when we take on a characteristic of lying, we become devilish. Uh, truth is a sacred thing. It's not easy to always tell the truth. There may be times, if I were in Nazi Germany, I may intentionally deceive the Nazis to protect the Jews. But but that's a different orientation. Uh, be truthful, be honest. Uh, and I think that lying can so hurt your reputation. I think if you want to have, Bill, a really good opportunity to share the gospel, uh, try to be the kind of person who treats issues like truth with real sacredness. Don't fudge things. And if you do, you come back and say, I'm sorry, I made it. I made an error. I was wrong in what I said. Let me correct it. Mm. That's, that's great. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, do not covet. Yeah, when I was a young guy, I wanted to be a major league baseball player, and uh, I worked hard at it. I wasn't a bad baseball player, but I obviously wasn't good enough because some of my friends got professional contracts, and I got none. And I was was coveting what my friends had. By the way, I'll tell you, I still struggle with it. I have friends who are Christian thinkers and apologists and philosophers, and sometimes their books sell better than mine, and I covet. Um, you know, I, I think, I think again, it comes back to this bill, trust in the Lord. I don't want to steal from other people. I don't want to take from other people. I don't want to be covetous. I want to respect what other people have. And ultimately I want to trust God that he will give me all of the things that I need in my life and salvation in the next. Mm-hmm. And we just have a minute left. So how do you think these God's commandments are just a, they're just a perfect reflection of his nature, aren't they? They really are. We can feel overwhelmed, but that's okay because you're feeling some guilt. That's not a bad thing, but you need to move from guilt to grace. 
grace tells you that God has saved you from all the things you could not do, and then you move to that third G, that sense of gratitude. Now I go back to these commandments, I realize I can't keep them perfectly, but I desire to be faithful to God. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Yeah. Ken, as always, I enjoy you so much when you come on the program. I know my listeners do. You get us thinking, and you always leave us with something that lingers, which is always a good thing. Well, you are very gracious to me, and I feel honored to uh, be on your program and to interact with, with your many listeners. So thank yeah, you, Bill. I have very smart listeners, and they uh, respond. Uh, they always step up when you come on the, the show. So thank you again. All right. Bye-bye. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest, and that wraps up our show for the whole day. I want to thank Patrick Albanese and David Miles and then Ken Samples. You can go to reasons.org if you want to learn more about Ken, but you can uh, learn about his books and his podcast and his uh, blog as well at reasons.org. Ken Samples has been my guest. Have a great night, everyone. I look forward to spending time with you again tomorrow. I hope you've had a good Monday, and I'm looking forward to our time uh, on Tuesday. See you then. listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.